Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Repod It podcast presented by Rerouted. Rerouted is an online marketplace where people can buy and sell used outdoor gear. If you have gear to sell, please check out our app, the Rerouted app on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. If you're shopping for gear, check us out online, rerouted.co. That's R-E-R-O-U-T-E-D dot C-O. Now, on to the Repod It podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Repod It podcast presented by Rerouted. My name is Brian Schoening. I'm your host, as always, and I'm here with my co-host, Giles Ray. Giles, you came to an interesting realization today, something that I've been telling you for weeks. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I got announced as the co-host of this podcast, and I kind of thought it was just like this little joke that was going on that I was, oh, this co-host of the podcast. And today I was driving around. I was thinking, I was like, huh, I should probably do this for the podcast or that for the podcast and coming up with ideas. And I was like, wait a second. And I went back and looked there. I was like, huh, I'm actually kind of on a lot of these podcasts. And I came to the realization that it was not a joke. And I actually am your co-host of this podcast. And uh, so that was a fun little realization that I'm pretty excited for to, uh, to start taking this role pretty seriously. Giles came home today and he was stomping around the kitchen and I came out of my room to see what was going on. And he he looks at me with just this full look of betrayal in his face. And he said, you tricked me. I said, yeah, what are you talking about? He said, you tricked me into being the co-host of a podcast. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Several months ago, I said, hey, Giles, I want to do a skiing podcast with you. And maybe you didn't maybe that wasn't totally clear that uh that that was me asking you to be a co-host i've been telling you for weeks it's been no secret i've introduced oh, you yeah. as my co-host for weeks oh yeah i just thought this was a big long-running joke that's all i mean it's not uncommon in this house is to have some big long-running jokes and i just thought that's what it was so and the realization probably started to kick in a few days ago when you invited our guest on for today why don't you introduce our guest for us yeah, so I'm super excited to introduce one of my best friends and the uh, snow sports rep and certified instructor at Sun Valley, Idaho, Matt White. Welcome, Matt. How are you doing today? Thank you. Great. It's great to be with you guys and uh, stoked for this podcast. Uh, it's uh, it's an honor to be on here with uh, not just Brian, but uh, his new co-host. Uh, that's, that's me. That's huge. <laughs> for long for longtime listeners, the first episode that Giles was on as a guest was about a uh, a hiking a hiking and camping trip that Giles went on with Matt, and so we uh, we get to we get to finally meet the 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 man behind the myth of that of that trip, and uh, and we get to talk to him talk to him about skiing. So that was an epic trip. Oh yeah. Matt, how did you originally get into snow sports and skiing kind of as a kid? Well, I, uh, you know, I was really in a cold place. Uh, I grew up in, uh, well, both Western and Eastern Michigan. Uh, and, uh, there's not much to do there in the winter unless you're on ice or skates or, uh, or on skis and, uh, either way you're on ice. Um, and so uh, I started out at a little hill, uh, about 150 vertical feet, uh, maybe 200, 
uh, called Cannonsburg. And uh, I believe it was a former landfill that had uh, been repurposed as a, a ski area uh, that's common in Michigan and, and elsewhere in those areas. And uh, I just, I loved it. Uh, it was so much fun and uh, got me outside. It's kind of a, a, a niche activity, even though it was somewhat popular, uh, a, a way to have a lifelong sport and uh, did some ski school there and uh, later uh, did junior development racing. And so that, uh, it was a ton of fun, but man, was it cold. And uh, the only way to get better if you're on a mountain that small is if you're racing or in the park. And uh, at the time it would have been about 99 uh, park skiing was still kind of in its infancy. And uh, so it was really just the gates. Um, and then uh, lived in Utah for a couple of years. Uh, ski for Alta free ride there. Uh, and, uh, and then went back to Michigan and uh, skied out West, including Sun Valley during that period. Uh, and that's how I came to love uh, the place that I now live. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my skiing backstory. So I want to hear from both of you, you guys, you guys met in college and yeah. at some point it clicked that you were both, that you were both skiers that you both like to spend time on the mountain in the, in the winter. What, how did that conversation go? What, what, uh, you know, how, how did you guys link up and, and head to the mountain for the first time? Well, I had spent some time at Giles's house. Now keep it, keep in mind, Matt, this is generally a family friendly program. So maybe there's, yeah. if there's details <laughs> that should be oh, left yeah, out. No, of, you know, we're, we're talking, uh, no, no we're talking about, we're talking about the college prime of these individuals. So, you know, yeah. if there's any details that need to be left out, you know, uh, no, a lot of details filter. being left out here. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of details we won't go into, but you know, we were hanging out over at his house. Um, again, later became my house. Uh, there was, uh, some structural issues with the house. Uh, but you know, that it, uh, otherwise was a, was a great place to be. Um, and uh, I noticed all these ski maps on his walls, man. I mean, there were so many, like, I don't know, dozens, you know. And then that was the only thing that outnumbered the skis. I mean, there must have been four sets of skis in this place. And I thought, wow. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's funny that you mentioned that. I just put Giles on blast in a group chat today for the amount of skis that he owned <laughs> in high school. And, I mean, we could have – six months of episodes just talking about the skis that Giles, the Giles has owned. Yeah. Yeah. And this you know, true. I'm a true ski quiver guy. Uh, <laughs> I've never, never felt like I've needed more. Although the thrift shop here, you know, I'll, I'll probably be shopping later on. Uh, they've got some, some good situations, but yeah. They're, or on you know, the rerouted app. Yeah. Yes. You can check out, yes. you can check out rerouted or if you see any, any sweet stuff that's, you know, super cheap at, at the thrift shop at the Goodwill, you can, you can buy it. You can list it on rerouted. You might, even, I think I might, might even turn. It. Yeah. You might, yeah. You might even turn a little profit. You might reroute it. Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, continue. So you're, you're hanging out, you see all these ski posters. The only thing that outnumbers the skis. Yeah. And I just thought it was sweet, you know, and, um, we, uh, we just kind of started skiing. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I wish I had done more skiing in college. I uh, kind of busied myself with a range of 
jobs that were far divorced from uh, anything that I like to do, um, you know, but uh, always had a pass. I love, you know, for me, I love Alta. I love Snowbird, but when it really comes down to it, I'm a Brighton guy. And so mm-hmm. uh, a lot of time at Brighton, you know, yep. uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of how it was. His skis are always cooler than mine. I had a pair of vocal mantras or no, no, they weren't. They were the Gatamas. Yeah, the Gatamas, yeah. And uh, then later rode uh, Blizzard Gunsmokes. Still ride those actually uh, on occasion. I'm I'm pretty sure, down. Giles. Am I am I right in in recalling that you've put my entire family on mantras? Pretty much. I put your entire family on mantras. I bought mantras. Matt had the Gatamas, and I remember the day he moved in, he brought his skis in, and I was like, oh. You've got the white with the red katana era of Gatamas. And I had owned a pair, I think the next year after those or two years after those. That was a fun ski. That's a classic, like, fat ski for the era. Likes going really, really fast through any condition you can put it in. It's true. It's true. Uh, And now I I ride those gun spokes and then uh, Stokely AX, which is uh, basically just a homologated race ski uh but uh you know both solid construction that's really all that matters to me i don't want them falling apart i like metal from tip to tail you know that sort of thing uh but yeah the stokeways have been awesome though i think i hit 60 miles an hour on those things several times and rock solid but yeah i mean that that kind of you know tells a story of that period i mean and then, well, I do. I do want to get Giles. So, Giles, your your first yeah. memory of Matt uh, on the on the skiing side then is is seeing his uh, seeing his skis, and you're like, oh, he's yeah. the one that yeah, he, like he was has he was moving in. Like we knew, like we had hung out a bunch. Um, you know, we had only met like after ski season the year prior, and like ski season hadn't really started up yet by the time he moved in. Um, so we hadn't skied together yet, but like, I knew he was a skier and, uh, knew he was a former forerunner owner. So I knew we were going to get along <laughs> and, um, yeah. And he moved in. I saw those. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a fun year living in this house. And well, sure enough, we, we went on some sweet trips. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. But big bear, that was, uh, that was a riot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that big bear was a, that big bear trip was a fun trip. Almost knocked myself out had a, by overshooting a landing on that trip. Yeah. And, um, no, yeah. that was that was my favorite like go to spring break trip for us because like living in Salt Lake, we got a bunch of great skiing. And come spring break, we're like, we still want to ski, but we'd like to go somewhere where it's warm because we'd like to thaw yeah. out for a bit. And uh, we could go out there and like buy a pass that's good for the entire time we're there for like 99 dollars ski as much as or as little as you want for 99 bucks because for skiing that's just so cheap i was like yeah well if i ski four runs a day for four days that's better than most lift tickets that i pay for and uh, and and could ski in a t-shirt the entire time and like with your leg vents entirely open still sweating oh, yeah yeah i mean what a deal uh overall i mean gosh i think our logic Maybe the same price. Maybe it's eighty bucks uh, yeah. per, per head. You know, just shout out JMO Skinner. Always a great organizer of those trips. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, good, good crew. Some snowboarders, some skiers. Uh, but 
fun mountain. I'd, I'd like to go back there. I just, uh, yeah. I hope they, you know, have enough snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The lake was looking a little low and that was a while ago. So hopefully well, let, things improve. Let's fast forward to what you're doing now at Sun Valley. Describe that for yeah. us a little bit. Yeah. So uh, there's a, there's two main components to my job. Uh, I, when I'm uh, acting as a rep, uh, I'm taking some phone calls, but at this point in the season, mostly doing uh, instructor assignment and matching, uh, scheduling for that. You know, we have such a broad range of instructors. We've got our oldest is 83, uh, still booked a ton. Uh, our youngest is uh, 19. And so, and, and within those age groups, you have all sorts of personality quirks, uh, skill levels, discipline levels. Uh, and so really matching that up so our guests have, you know, the right experience. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we want to make sure everybody's time of the mountain is both fun and, you know, accretive to their learning. And so that is really the, the core of what I'm doing there. Uh, when I'm not doing that, the more fun job is actually instructing. Uh, I uh, went through a certification process in December and have uh, been doing a mix of local programs and privates. Uh, personally, my favorite my my favorite niche is uh, you know six to ten year olds who have got some skills under their belt but really need somebody to push them. Well, um, well, Matt, do I have just the group for you, my man? <laughs> I've got a, I've got a group of nieces and nephews. The oldest is, uh, the oldest is six. They're all coming into the pri- into their prime. Oh, they are, they are. You know, kids that age uh, are somewhat fearless, but they also bounce. So mm-hmm. you know, that's uh, that's kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> Ripe set of conditions for development there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, I personally believe, and I think this is true of a lot of age groups, but especially that one, you know, terrain is not really what is scary about skiing because terrain isn't known. I mean, you can see it. It's clear, clear what it looks like. Uh, what's scarier at that age is they're small. Um, and there's a lot of kind of exogenous stuff going on. You've got, uh, you know, skiers moving at 40 down the mountain, maybe in control, maybe not. Um, You've got, uh, you know, kind of limited ability to get out of the way. Uh, Your head is so heavy at that age compared to the rest of your body. Everything's kind of uh, jumbled up compared to an adult's body. And so, you know, my view on that is uh, even if it's the hardest run on the mountain, if they're if you think you can get down it, as long as there's nobody else on the mountain or no obstructions, uh, I say go for it. And uh, most of the time that terrain pickup is, you know, works out. Um, it's been interesting this year because we've had so much snow that we can do some powder ski, uh, which. One, one thing that's students, always, you know, one thing that's always cracked me up about kids. And this was the case for myself as a kid and, and all of, uh, and all of my siblings is, <clears throat> you know, there's a level of, um, 
very small things can put them in a in a bad mental space on the mountain yep. uh, a wrinkle in a sock or you know a layer totally. that's twisted or a or a finger that you know if your if your finger gets like wrapped up in your mitten in a weird mm-hmm. way or something totally. you know all of these little things that can just send kids off the deep end um yeah. you know while they're on the mountain i I am, I'm going to share a short story. My over Christmas, I was spending it with my, my brother and his family in it. At one point I see, I see his four-year-old getting dressed up in the entire ski outfit. I mean, <laughs> helmet goggles, three layers, jacket, pants, two socks, boots, boots buckled up stomping around the kitchen on you know the nice floors and i looked at dan and i said dan why why do you have a four-year-old running around in <laughs> a full ski out i mean like looking like she's ready for 20 below yeah and, and he yeah. said he said brian the more times that you put this stuff on and you take it off and the more time that they spend in this gear and dressed up to the full nines, the easier it gets every single time. And my brother of all of us, he, he was the one where it was like, if there is one single wrinkle anywhere, nobody's going to have a very good time. People are, you know, it's going to ruin, it's going to ruin everyone's day. And he's, he's obviously a, a, you know, an adult now that's back when he was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. But, um, you know, I, I see the way that he's like kind of training his kids to not be bothered by that stuff. Totally. I, I think that's incredible. And, and though those is. are the types of things that I'm sure as an instructor of that age group makes your life a lot easier if you're not worried about, you know, yeah. a wrinkle or a mm-hmm. twist. Yeah. You know, a lot of it before we, I mean, when I'm in that age group, we try to take a break, maybe every hour, 15 hour and a half. And yep. I try to keep it really, really short enough to slam some hot cocoa and get back out there. But mm-hmm. if there's any time that I take where I'm focusing, it's getting them geared up again. Uh, you know, I grab all their hands, make sure that the thumb is in the mitten or in the, you know, in the, in the, in the thumb of the glove. Uh, that's a huge one, you know, making sure the buff isn't, you know, impeding their vision mm-hmm. or her, and, you know, one thing, though, too, is that you don't like if they can't get their glove on the first time or they can't get their helmet buckled, I ask them to do it again. Because the fact is, is I mean, if you always expect somebody to buckle up your helmet, you might just keep doing that till you're 14 years old. I don't know. Uh, you know, so and that, that kind of is, you know, tandem with challenge by choice, which is kind of my philosophy when it comes to getting down the mountain. Uh there's always an easier way, but uh, it's best to to push them to do it themselves and, and to make that decision, but to lay out all those options for them. Uh, yeah, getting getting their gears set and, you know, if, if the skis are too long, run into the rental shop and swapping them out. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's just things that uh, they, they can't emote, you know, what's wrong with their skis. It's that they're too young. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so being aware of that stuff is 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 really important. And also, you know, just so much enthusiasm. I mean, we've got this run called the Dragon's Back Ridge on Dollar Mountain, which is uh, a kind of teaching hill. And you know, if uh, 
if they look scared or anxious, I start roaring like a dragon. You know, uh, I uh, do things to kind of distract them from that, mm-hmm. from that anxiety. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, so we were, we were chatting about, I, you know, I taught skiing for a little while when I was in middle school and high school. One, yeah. one trick I had always learned is there was always some sort of snack in my pockets to keep the kids Absolutely. from bonking. Like when they're, when they're starting to crash, you just pump them full of some sugar, maybe a little bit of calories. Like my go-to was usually like gummy worms or gummy bears. What yeah. is the thing you carry in your pocket <laughs> to save a kid who is on the brink and hot chocolate every, yeah. you know, in an hour isn't going to make it. Yep. No, that's uh, it's totally true. Uh, and you know, that little pop of sugar could be enough. I, uh, I love, love love uh unwrapped starburst uh i usually let out about half the pack so that it's you know not super noticeable in my pocket um and uh so i've got those those are a a real fan favorite uh Mm -hmm. another one that uh that i put in there sour patch kids gummies there's something about gummies that Mm -hmm. For me, and I, I told this on a on another podcast. For me, my instructor always had those fruit leathers, and oh, those yeah. were perfect. And I, I imagine that all three of us probably grew up on on fruit leathers in the uh, yeah. in the mm-hmm. ski instructor's pocket. Um, but but yeah. yeah, that was that was always the go to for me was the fruit leathers. Yeah, that and uh, like if the kids like really just like clearly out of energy, I'll give them some some jerky it's a little bit more of a an expensive fare so uh Mm -hmm. i don't always pull that out but uh in a salty piece of jerky it uh that cures it the other thing too and and i don't think enough people do this i always have two of those six ounce bottles of water in my pocket nice Um, kids are not good at realizing when they're dehydrated Mm -hmm. but it's actually pretty easy to tell if they are they're weak um you know, they're, uh, you know, maybe a little bit fuzzy, um, you know, and they don't realize that there's so much aerobic activity mm-hmm. that they're doing that. And, you know, and but the parents cold. probably don't either. And, uh, no. you know, oftentimes, no. you know, when you're getting those tourists who are probably up, you know, I'm sure it's common to see oh, a yeah. lot of tourists from a lot of warmer clients or climates who all know about dehydration. They're from warm areas and they get up there and they think, oh, well, it's cold. So you're not sweating right. as much. So you're not, you're not getting dehydrated as easily and aren't pushing that water on their kids like they usually do, because if their yeah. kids are anything like I was as a kid, was, water's boring and I didn't really like it. So I exactly. wasn't super amped on drinking it. They get to this cold place. They're like, it's vacation. That, I don't that, have to force water down my kid's throat. That's what I was going to mention is I think in general, not even just kids, but I think that that adults also don't always realize how dehydrated you can get on the mountain. You may, you may, it may be, it may not be hot. Um, you know, so you may not be sweating as much as you would sometimes, but if you're, you know, you're, you're layered up, you might be warm. You still might be sweating. And also Mm -hmm. I think that people underestimate like being that much closer to the sun, you've got to drink, you know, more water. Well, and it's so dry here. Yeah. I mean, it's so dry. Like even after living in Salt Lake for all those years, I mean, it's, it's astonishing to me how dry it is. And that, um, you know, I, I don't really know the science behind that, but it, it definitely has an effect on people who are from more humid climbs. Uh, you know, and for adults, like, 
you know, and I, of course I violated this before, but drinking beer on the mountain is especially more than one, maybe two, if you're huge and advanced is not a great idea. Have a beer when you're done, or if you're going to have some water with, you know, with it. But, you know, a lot of times, uh, especially tourists, they see, you know, the taps and they think, oh, let me get a beer at the top. And they don't realize that, you know, we're at eight, eight, nine thousand feet. Not only are you going to feel a little sour, but you're going to get dehydrated. Um, and so, you know, I as much as I have violated that, that's kind of how I try to live now, because it, it all of that dehydration stuff, it just makes for a bad day. You got to treat those muscles right. You live in yeah. you live and learn, Matt. That's gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. That's gross. <laughs> And, uh, so, so Matt, you're living in Sun Valley now. Let's get, I'd love to hear a little bit, you know, what brought you up to Sun Valley and what, what kind of precipitated yeah. this move? You know, what, what, so what was it that drew you up there and yeah, what's your favorite part about it now that you're living there? Well, it's, uh, there's, there's really nowhere quite like Ketchum, Haley, Wood River Valley, um, which is, uh, the, the valley that, you know, our, our populations are in. Um, and, uh, and the reason for that is, is a, there's at this point in time, there's really no outside money, uh, Mm -hmm. here when it comes to the business operations, Ketchum has one chain retailer or, um, or or restaurant that's Lululemon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a very small one. And, uh, that kind of mix of, private businesses is, is really, really refreshing, especially coming out of a city. Um, you know, we have a very muted nightlife and, and a quietness here, um, to, to the resort town that just doesn't really exist elsewhere. Um, you know, people go out, they have fun, but it's not, uh, raucous partying or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you can still get a beer for three bucks uh you know right down the street you can uh go get a burger for you know 850 uh those kinds of prices just don't exist in in other resort towns when you can walk from that restaurant to the mountain um and that's just really unique uh one thing that i think is is under noted about idaho is we have the highest income tax in the mountain west and that has really yeah, uh, the top marginal rate here is somewhere, I think it's north of 7%, uh, certainly north of 6 And, you know, when you're surrounded by areas that are extremely low tax, I mean, Wyoming comes to mind, Jackson, you don't have a lot of people moving here as a tax haven. And so yeah. that caps some of the, mm-hmm. the wicked um, property valuation increases they have. And, and Sun Valley has been in, in you know, front of the curve on housing for a while. We I don't live in employee housing, but it's a solid deal. There's plenty of it. Uh, they're planning to build more. And uh, that kind of eye towards the sustainability of the town, it's, um, you know, is, is important. We don't have any population within 75 miles outside of our 14,000 people. So um, we, we have to kind of take care of our own. <laughs> and uh, that's versus, awesome. You know, Park City, which uh, you say, well, who cares what the old values are? They can just drive from Salt Lake. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, 
you know, that doesn't create the same kind of community. And, yep. uh, and it also, you know, we, I, there's a lot of value of, of minority populations here that I just haven't seen throughout the mountain West. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have to depend on each other. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no, you know, and, and, and those restaurants that I'm, you know, lefties being one of them down the street from me, you know, you can have a centimillionaire, a person from out of town who's working construction and, um, you know, a, a resort employee all sitting, talking around the same picnic table. And I think that lack of classism is, is nice. And perhaps it'll change as time wears on. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's better to be where we are than than where we could be so yeah uh, yeah yeah, i mean and i've got some friends up here some childhood friends uh, whose parents either spend part of their time here or their aunt lives here i Mm -hmm. work 20 feet away from my buddy's aunt ticketing um you know and she's been a good force in my life and and that uh yeah that kind of drove me here uh you know if friends of mine too want to come up and see me i'm a four and a half hour drive away uh, from salt lake or a 40 minute flight. And, uh, you know, that keeps, uh, my friends close, but not crazy close. Uh, yeah. it allows me to kind of focus on, on what I'm doing. So yeah. yeah, that's a long story, but that's, uh, you know, I think there's unique aspects to catch him that are just, that just don't exist elsewhere. And that's, that's what drove it. Love that. And go for it, B. I was going to say maybe, maybe one more, one more final question mm-hmm. here and then, uh, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. So I just want to dive back on one thing that you mentioned there, you know, it just being super, everything's very local there. You know, there's not a lot of outside influence, which in the ski industry these days is really, really different. Um, we had an episode a couple weeks ago where we chatted about what's going on in the Pacific Northwest um, with ski areas being you know, owned by Vale, Altera, Sun Valley's not. It's been owned by a you know by a family for pretty much forever. Um, yep. What's that like? I mean, you grew you just left an area where everything just got snatched up in the last four years yeah. by Vale or Altera, and now you're in Sun Valley. Yeah, well, a lot of so there's there's kind of an, an interesting backstory to that. Um, so the Holding family owns it. I believe they bought it from the Harriman family. Uh, he was head of the railroad, Averill, and. Uh, and established the resort and uh, the holding family's most substantial, um, you know, asset holding, uh, to, to use the name again, uh, is Sinclair oil. And while there's a generational flip going on, um, in terms of management, you know, and it's unclear where those assets are going to end up, um, Sun Valley's profitability, uh, could, could be offset by Sinclair's very steady, non-cyclical um, profitability. And so it, it created a way essentially for the holdings to hold land um, and, uh, you know, as an asset, but also uh, a financial flexibility that just doesn't exist in a lot of ski resorts. And as we've mm-hmm. seen with recessions and all of that, it's devastating for the travel industry. And uh, it creates these opportunities for, you know, what are more or less private equity hedge funds um, from from buying them on the cheap. Um, yeah. And there's something to working for a place that hasn't been touched too heavily by actuaries. Um, there's uh, there's definitely a, a, a little bit of looseness there. That's that's nice. Um, 
and uh, and it's funny. You never you never wonder who owns it. Their mm-hmm. portraits are right above the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. But, uh, the glamour shots. Uh, but yeah, you know that's that's kind of the 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 plus of that. And uh, we'll see though. I we're we're partnered with Vale on Epic Pass for some days on some passes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would not be the least bit surprised if Vale, uh, you know, had had eyes on their resort. But um, it's a it's a legacy property for this family, and uh, I think it. it of any resort, it stands the best chance of uh, withstanding that pressure. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, for now, the future looks bright and uh, the future looks family owned. <laughs> Love that. Love to hear that. And, uh, well, yep. thank you again for joining us, Matt. We've really oh, appreciated it. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks to Matt for joining us. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Repot It podcast. If you have gear to sell, outdoor gear to sell, check out our app, the Rerouted app on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. If you're looking to buy gear, check out our website, rerouted.co. Thanks to everyone for listening. Hope you guys have an awesome day.